Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Well, good morning, City Bridge. It's so good to be with you all this morning. Friends in the room that are joining us, our friends online. Uh, If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Andre Sampson. Uh, I get the privilege of serving here as our kids director. Uh, Thank you guys. Yeah, it's it's a ton of fun to do that. And really my role is just to serve under the amazing people on that side of the building that are with your kids right now. Uh, as we partner with you to raise up the next generation of fully devoted followers of Christ. Uh, I'm married to my amazing wife, Sonia, and we have three kiddos, Sammy, who is three, Everly, who is two, uh, and then Joshua, who we're so excited to meet here in about a month. And so that's my family. Um, and before I jump in, uh, let me just pray for us real quick, and then, and then we'll jump right in. Uh, Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for this opportunity to gather uh, and see your word and to see Jesus. Lord, I pray for the people in the room uh, that you would soften our hearts, uh, that you would give us receptive minds to hear the truth and the teaching of your eternal perfect word. And Lord, would you be with me? Would you give me clarity of mind? Would you give me concision of speech and conviction of heart as I imperfectly attempt at communicating your perfect eternal word? So Lord, let us all that is said today that is of your spirit and of your will be remembered and everything that is not be forgotten. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so we have been in the book of Colossians, and it's just been a blast to be together as a body moving through a book of Scripture uh, as one. Like, that's just been fun for me. And so let me recap where we've been so far. Uh, If you've missed some of the weeks in between, on week one, David Leventhal, he kicked us off by giving us a good overview of the book of Colossians and the three movements we were going to be focusing on, which is to see him clearly, to be included in him completely, and to walk in him freely. And then Rob Berry last week uh, took that first section on Thanksgiving and prayer, and he really highlighted the significance and the impact of the gospel. The impact of the gospel on the church in Colossae and the impact of the gospel here at City Bridge. And Rob prayed for us and he encouraged us to continue to mature in faith and hope and love because of the gospel. And so in those three movements of see him clearly, included and incompletely, and walk in him freely, today we will be focused on seeing him clearly. And so fun question to start just to connect with each other. Uh, Has anyone in the room wear glasses? Anyone here have prescription lenses or contacts? Good, a lot of us. Okay, so here's a fun question. If we came to you and we took away your prescription glasses or your lenses, how well would you function in life? Yeah, n- not, not very well, right? Like I'd be okay with everything that was in, is this far from me. That's all I got. Okay, so if we took that away, life would be really hard. And, and I remember I was in middle school when I got my uh, glasses for the first time, which is pretty far in life to not have glasses. And so I remember thinking back and, and feeling how hard it was to live life without being able to see clearly. Like I remember, specifically remember math class in seventh grade. I sat near the back of the room and my teacher would go up to the board and she'd just all blurry lines and squiggly stuff. And I just sat in the back going, I am lost and I'm struggling with math. And sports was pretty fun. If y'all know me, I love to play sports, any sport, but how good are you gonna be at football if you can't see the ball till it's right here? (laughs) Brother, you're not catching anything, right? You're gonna get hit and you're gonna get hurt. And so that's what I discovered, really looking back, that's kind of a life lesson that feels rather obvious is if you can't see clearly, 
it's highly likely that you're going to have a lot of problems in life and you'll probably get hurt, right? That's just a fact. And what's amazing is, uh, for those of us in the room that are old enough to remember, you might know this, but I remember, and I'll never forget the day I got my glasses. Like in seventh grade, we went to the doctor, they put the glasses on me, and I was like, whoa, is this what the world looks like? It's beautiful, right? Uh, Trees went from being just blobs to like there's leaves and there's colors and there's sunlight dancing between the leaves. It was was amazing, right? Uh, Total coincidence, but my my first crush on a girl was actually in in seventh grade uh, after I got my glasses. I I don't know if that's connected or not. Um, but that's just, how, that's just how it went. We'll call that a coincidence. Um, sports got more fun. School got more fun. When I could see clearly, everything was different. It totally changed my world. And so I start there because we today are going to be looking at one of the most significant and impactful, right? as David Gentile said, one of the most dense passages in maybe our entire Bibles. Like, it's amazing, Now, it's bad, right, when you don't see clearly, and that means you're failing math class and you can't catch a football. But it's an entirely different level of bad when not being able to see clearly is harmful and endangers our souls and maybe even our eternity. And so that's what this section in Colossians is all about, is Paul is describing and he is elevating the surpassing glory and greatness and all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So the question to ask is why? Why would Paul start there? He hadn't met these people, and he could start his letter anywhere. So why does he start with this? And it's really simple, right? Paul knows that if we don't see clearly, we end up with a lot of problems. And if we don't see Jesus clearly, we see nothing clearly, right? I'll say that again. If we don't see Jesus clearly, we see nothing clearly, right? Now, like Uh, Lev mentioned in week one of this series, as best we can tell what's going on in the church in Colossae uh, is there's an internal element, right, that's sort of pressuring them to add more and do more in their faith, right? Potentially a Jewish element that's going, hey, you need to practice asceticism, the harmful treatment of your body, right? Or you need to go back and start practicing the Levitical law and stuff in order to add to your faith. You need to add something in order to be able to experience God more fully. And so what Paul is doing, he's directly addressing that, Because what he's going to do is he's going to push for clarity in who Jesus is, right? Almost as if to say, man, if you see the glory, the magnificence, the surpassing preeminence of Jesus Christ, what are any of us going to do to add to that, right? How are you going to add to Jesus? He's amazing. And And because Paul loves and cares for these believers, even though he has not met them, he really, really wants them to grasp who Jesus is, right? And he he gives us a clue in Colossians chapter 2. He says, "Um, so that you aren't taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. We guard against misguided doctrine by grasping firmly to Christ. Now, what's beautiful about this section uh, is when Paul does this and he describes Jesus, he really does it in the form of a hymn, right, or or a poem. And Paul, the, the translators are awesome. They know way more than me, but I feel like it's a little bit of a disservice when you open your Bible and it's just a paragraph. And so what we did uh, is the team put together a slide that kind of shows it a little bit more, this section of Colossians, a little bit more how it's really written, like a psalm or, or a poem. Okay, this is what it can look like. And so when we see that, uh, what we're going to notice is, first thing, is that um, in this poem, when you look at it, there are no instructions, 
right? So let me just cover that right now. There's no instructions. For my grammar people in here, there's no imperative words or statements in there. That means that in this whole section, as we read it, you're not going to walk out of here with a long list of to-dos. Like, personally, I, I like crave that and want that. I'm just like, just tell me what to do. That's not what this section of the Bible does, and so that's not what I'm going to do. You're not going to walk out with a list of to-dos and commands and a long list because that's not what's here. What's here is us clearly and purely looking at the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. And really, in that section, there's, there's these two stanzas, right, at the top there. There's, and for those of you that like to outline your notes, our point one is going to be Christ in creation. Okay, that's the first stanza. There's a bridge in the middle that connects the two where we see Christ over the universe and Christ over the church. And then there's the, and then there's the stanza at the bottom uh, where we see Christ in the new creation. Okay, so let's jump into this. And remember, the reason Paul is showing this to us is because if we see Jesus clearly, it changes everything. Okay, so uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, okay, because... Man, there's just so much here. Like David Gentiles mentioned, this is a dense passage of scripture. There's a lot here, and we could spend weeks and weeks just going over each verse. But they gave me 35 minutes, okay? And so let's get right to it. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we will jump right in. So you can turn with me if you have your Bibles or if you have a phone, which I'm pretty sure everybody does. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse 15. We'll go all the way to verse 23, and we'll dive in. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Man, that's good. All right, let's jump in. Okay, verse 15. Okay, we are going to see this first section, this first stanza. We're going to see Christ in creation. And as we read this, there's three things that really kind of pop out to me. We'll see him as the image of the invisible God, We'll see him as the firstborn of all creation, and we'll see that all things were created by him, through him, and for him. So image of the invisible God, what does that mean? It means a lot. It means so much. It's a beautiful statement with a lot of imagery, and so I'll try to make it as simple for us as we can today, okay? And the way I'll say it is this, is to look at Jesus is to see the Father. He is the exact picture of God, the exact imprint of the very nature and character of our God, right? Jesus is God. Jesus is not just some good teacher, right? He's not just a prophet that knew things. Jesus isn't a self-help tool to make our lives as good as they can be. Jesus isn't something you just add to a good latte so you have a nice start to your morning, right? Jesus plus coffee, no. Jesus plus nothing. He's God. He's God. 
And so when we say image, it's also so much more than just a picture, right? Like if I pull out a dollar bill, I go, okay, I think I know what George Washington looked like, but I don't know what George Washington was like. Jesus is more than just a picture. He's the very image of God. The author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter one. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. To see Jesus is to look at the father. And Jesus says it this way himself in John chapter 14. He says, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? So if you want to see what God the Father is like, look at Jesus Christ, right? How does God respond to the brokenhearted? Look at Jesus weeping with Mary and Martha outside of Lazarus' tomb. He's compassionate. He's kind. If you want to see how God the Father responds to the outcast, to the broken, to the sinful, right? To the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, the worst of us, look at Jesus and how he welcomes and engages with uh, Zacchaeus, right? He sees him, he invites him, he breaks bread with him. He's kind and he's gracious. And if you wanna see how Jesus feels or how God feels about the self-righteous, look at Jesus absolutely rip into the Pharisees, right? He rebukes them with anger and ferocity because he hates sin. God hates sin. And so you see that in Jesus. If you want to see what God the Father is like, we look at Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, the second thing that jumps out to us as we see Jesus in creation is that he is the firstborn of all creation. So let's explain that term a little bit, firstborn of creation. Now, that does not mean that Jesus is the first in creation to be born or the first thing that was made. He, he's not the first thing that was made. He's, he's never been made. He's always been. He's the creator of everything else that was made. So really, we need to dig into the cultural sort of contextual meaning of the, the term, or really I should say the title of firstborn, right? And so what firstborn means, what it implies is that he is the greatest. He is the highest. He is the heir. He's the authority. He will own all things. It's all his, right? The way I like to picture it, has anybody in here seen Lion King? Okay, good. We've all seen Lion King, I'm sure. And so in Lion King, uh, Mufasa is standing there and he brings Simba out with him on the rock, right? And the sun's rising, and he goes, Simba, my son, everything that the light touches is yours, which is maybe the worst James Earl Jones impression you've ever heard, right? Um, but, but the point is, that kind of helps us understand firstborn, right? That he is the heir, he's the ruler, he's the authority. Everything that the light touches is his. Everything in the whole universe is his, right? I love the scene, they hold him up, right? Rafiki's there and he holds him up. And what happens when they hold him up? Everything in all creation hits its knees, from the smallest beetles to the elephants and the rafts, when they hold him up, when they hold up the sun, everything hits its knees. Firstborn, right? It's all his. He's the heir. He's the authority. He's the ruler of it. And then we also see that further emphasized that he wasn't the first thing created in verse 16 because it begins with four, right? And really that could be translated like because. So he's the firstborn of creation for or because he created all things, right? Specifically, all things are created by him, through him, and for him. So again, we can spend a ton of time on that. I'll try to be really concise. By him, that means he's the creator. He's the one who created. Through him, that means he is the actual means of creation. And then for him means that he is the very purpose for which all things exist. 
And so what's fun about that is, is when we read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we need to understand. And Paul wanted the church in Colossae to understand, right? Because, again, there's that Jewish element in there that was influencing them and putting a little bit of pressure on them to add. And so he wanted them to see, hey, when you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Jesus was there with the Father, one with the Father, right? Bringing light out of darkness, bringing life out of the void. That was Jesus, and this, this hit me in a special way a few weeks ago. Uh, I was reading the Jesus Storybook Bible with my kids before bed. Shout out Jesus Storybook Bible. It's awesome. Um, I feel like it's always working on my heart more than theirs. I'm not sure. Uh, but I was reading it with my kids, and we were reading a story called Captain of the Storm. Right? It's the story where Jesus calms the storm. And so I'll just read a section of it because I think the way it communicates that Jesus is the first one of creation is, is so beautiful. Let me read it to you. It says, rescue us, save us, they shrieked. Don't you care? Of course Jesus cared. This was the very reason he had come, to rescue them and to save them. And Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said, that's all. And the strangest thing happened. I love this part. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. I, mean, I remember sitting there reading that with my kids and I started tearing up because I was like, man, Jesus is so amazing. Of course, of course he was there at the very beginning. Of course they recognize his voice. And it ends with saying they listened to Jesus and did what he said. I got to have just an amazing convo with my son about that. And so what's fun is that Paul and Jesus' storybook Bible aren't the only ones that want us to see this. If we look at the disciple John, right, and how he opens his gospel, he says these amazing words in John chapter 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's all his. All his, City Bridge. All made by him, all made through him, and then I, I really don't want us to miss this part. It's all made for him. It's all made for him. And so... You, you sitting there right now, you were made for Jesus. Your job, that's for Jesus. Your car, that's for Jesus. Your kids, they're for Jesus. The mountains, they're for Jesus. The oceans, they're for Jesus. The angels, they're for Jesus. All things, every living thing, every non-living thing in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, it's all for Jesus. It's all for him. Right? And we need to see that. We see that in Jesus in creation. And what's tough about that is, is I know if I check my own heart, what I love to do and what we love to do is we love to think that the world is about us. I'm at the center and it's all turning around me. Right? My job, that's mine. My bank account, that's mine. I mean, I worked hard. It's my money. It's mine. My wife, surely she just exists just for me. Right? It's all about me. And that's, that's, that's wrong. That's just not true. We love to think it's about us when in reality, as Abraham Kuyper famously said, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's all his. It doesn't just belong to him. It was created by him and through him and for him. City Bridge, see Jesus clearly in creation. And now, uh, if we get that slide that we had up at the beginning back up, we're kind of done with the first stanza of the poem and we're moving into the bridge, 
which really is going to kind of look back and build off of Christ in creation and communicate that Christ is over the universe. And then Christ is over the church, which will, which will kind of bridge us to our second stanza of the poem. And so let's jump in and see Christ over the universe. Read with me uh, in verse 17 and the first part of verse 18. It says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Okay, so he is before all things. What does that mean? Right? Again, in the first section, we talked about him being over all creation. And now it's going to emphasize something slightly differently in saying that he is before all things in priority, meaning he is more important, more significant. He takes precedence over everything that exists. And what hit me as I was reading this and, and convicted me was, man, is Jesus before all things in my life? Is he before all things in, in, in your life? Right? Like, like when, I, when we wake up in the morning is the first thing we reach for is Jesus. I go to work. Is the, do I open my to-do list or do I open in prayer? Is Jesus before all things in my life? And now, if I'm honest with you guys, which I intend to be, right, and if we're honest with each other, the answer is often no, right? Certainly not consistently. I struggle with this. We all struggle with this. We try to make Jesus just a piece of the pie. That's what I do. I'll go, I got my kids. I got my work. I got my job. I got my serving. I got my church. And I got to fit Jesus in here somewhere. And, and, and that's a category mistake of who Jesus is. Jesus is not just another piece of the pie that we try to fit in. No, Jesus is the foundation the whole pie sits on, right? Jesus doesn't want to be number one on your list. Jesus wants you to see him in everything on the list. He is the list. It was made by him and through him and for him, right? And so he is before all things and now we're going to see that he holds all things together. I, I love the way one commentator puts it. He says it this way. He says, it is his will and his will alone that makes our universe a cosmos instead of a chaos. It is his will and his will alone that makes our universe a cosmos instead of a chaos. And the author of Hebrews also puts it so beautifully in chapter 1 when he says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? And so imagine that for a second. Imagine that there's Jesus, who we see over all creation, over the universe. He's the one that keeps the stars burning. He's the one that keeps planets turning. He's the one that keeps galaxies from crashing into each other. And he, that same God with that same power, sees you and is holding you together. Today, right now, he's holding you together. I mean, that's amazing. This hit me indifferently this fall. Uh, my family and I had a, a somewhat of a difficult fall, you could say, um, our November, December season. Uh, within a two-month span, right, and I'm not making this up, within a two-month span, our water heater had a leak and broke. The water shutoff valve to the water heater broke, which meant no water at the house. Okay, our washing machine broke, which for my parents in the room, y'all know that might be the single most important piece of machinery we have is our washing machine. That broke. We also went through a season of grief. We lost a grandparent, which was really, really hard. I mean, part of our fence fell down. Our car needed significant repair. Our mortgage company mismanaged the escrow and our payment goes up a bunch. And it feels like stuff's just falling apart around us. And that's not including, right, stomach bugs and runny noses and coughs and colds and sinus infections and my wife gets COVID and she just hit her third trimester and we're just, we're just falling apart. We are. 
And what we got to see in that season, right, when we had no, no answers, we had all problems, no solutions, what God made very clear to me is, hey, Andre, uh, I know the one who actually holds my life together, right? And it's not me. It's not me. It was Jesus. Jesus is what holds my life together, not me. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I didn't have my fair share of panicking and fear and, and anger, muttering all kinds of stuff against our home warranty companies, right? Even if you say home warranty, it like triggers some PTSD <laughs> for me, okay? It's rough. And, and, and all that is true and all that response on my end is still sin and that's a message for another time. We'll stay focused on Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, the one thing that held us together was Jesus. My wife and I could not hold our life together and so we fell at his feet and he held us. I mean, he, he really held us together. All the problems and stuff didn't go away. We still miss grandpa. Um... But specifically, Jesus brought us peace uh, in a way that's hard to imagine. He held us together. He did so with his word, specifically helping it come alive for us. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever read Psalm 103 the same way again. He turned our anxiety into worship and prayer. He showed up in amazing ways just with his presence he kept me and my wife unified in a season where it would have been easy to just tear each other down and apart and point fingers. And amazingly, he showed up through his people. He showed up through family. He showed up through the body of Christ. I mean, meals, groceries, texts, prayers, encouragement. Um, someone, one, a member of this body even just showed up and uh, paid for our water heater replacement, right? Like we didn't have it. And one of you, this body, took care of it for us. God showed up through you. And I look back on that, and I'm so thankful because God used all of it to remind me, Andre, you don't hold your life together. Jesus does. Jesus held us together in that season. And so even when everything is falling apart around you, will you stop and see that Jesus is holding you together? As you think about your current situation, and I don't know what's going on for everybody in the room, Right? But will you see Jesus holding you together? In fact, how are we doing, City Bridge? At seeing Jesus, at understanding and trusting that He is in fact present always, that He's holding you, even when everything's falling apart, even when it feels like you can't stand. Jesus is holding you. And I know also there's, there's probably another group of us in the room that's kind of sitting there going, like, Man, but for me, life's going pretty great. Like things are going well right now, and that's awesome. Except do you think that if your life is growing great right now, that's because of you? Right? If the wind is at your back in this season, it is because of the grace and kindness of Jesus Christ alone, not because you figured out the cheat code to life, not because you got it. We don't got it. Jesus does. He's holding you. And so if you're walking around going, things are going well for me because I got it. The ask is, will you just stop? Will you see Jesus clearly and repent and recognize that he is the one that is holding all things together? City Bridge, see Jesus clearly as the one who holds all things together. So it's the first part of the bridge, right? Christ over the universe. And now we're going to talk about how Christ is the head of the church. So it says he is the head of the body, the church. And I love how it describes uh, the body of Christ, right? 
that he is the head and we are the body, it reminds me that the body is this living organism, right? That we're alive together, joined together, you, me, all of us connected as his body. It reminds me that Jesus Christ carries out his purposes and his will, some of it through the body, right? I just talked about how he showed up for us through you. And then we also, it reminds me how intimately connected we are to Christ. We are one with him. Like the head is part of the body. We are one with him. But I don't want us to miss this because the wording matters. Jesus is the head. He's not the foot. He's not the arm. He's not the hand. He's the head. That means he is in control. This whole church thing, it all goes up to Jesus. He has authority. He has the power. He has all of it. We belong to the head. And so if you're a Christian, right, you are called to be part of Jesus' church. Specifically, you're called to be part of a local church as well, and of which he is the head. And look, fair warning, and I think most of us that have been around a church long enough know this, but it's not all sunshine and rainbows in here, right? In the body of Christ, we're broken sinners, and so sometimes there's hurt. Sometimes the hand isn't very kind to the knee, and sometimes the eye just won't listen. But what we do know and what we can be assured of is that Christ is the head of the church and he will never let us down. And so City Bridge, keep your eyes focused on the head of our church and that's Jesus Christ, right? It's, it's, not, it's not Kyle, it's not DeMarv, it's not the elders. What those men know and why I choose to follow them is because they submit their lives and they know who the head of the church is, which is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so now through the rest of that bridge where we see Christ over the universe, Christ over the church, it's gonna transition us to see Christ in the new creation. And so he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so again, firstborn from the dead right? It does not mean that Jesus is the first one to come back to life. Fun Bible trivia, okay? Anybody in the room know who the first person in the Bible to actually come back to life was? Okay, so in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah raises a little boy back to life. There's a, the, the son of a widow dies and Elijah prays for him and he asks God to bring him back to life. So that's the first person. And there's many more. The one we're probably all most familiar with is Lazarus, right? Jesus himself brought Lazarus back to life. And so we know that firstborn from the dead doesn't mean the first one to just come back to life. And so what does it mean? What it means is Jesus didn't just come back to life. He conquered the grave. You see, Lazarus came back to life and then he had to die again. Lazarus died twice. Okay, that's tough. But, but Jesus, Jesus came back to life never to die again because he's not just alive. He's in the true resurrection life. He will never die again. He defeated death. He defeated the grave once and for all. He's the firstborn of the dead. And through him, through him, the new creation comes. And what's amazing is for those of us who put our faith and our trust and believe in him, we too one day will rise again, never to die in the true resurrection life. And then, right, even in the new creation. So he's supreme over all that was, he's supreme over all that is. And what's amazing is even what is to come, even in the new creation, he will be supreme and preeminent over all that was, over all that is, and over all that is to come, which is 
You know that's familiar language. Now, something that we do need to make sure is clear here because there's a section uh, that can be confusing in verse 19 and 20. Let me read it to you. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, or whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so that reconcile all things to himself can be confusing. And so we want to talk about it for a second. Is Paul really saying there that everybody on earth is already reconciled to God? Is Paul saying that everyone, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter what they believe, everyone is going to get reconciled to God one day, that everyone gets to experience eternity to God? Is Paul saying all roads lead to heaven? No, no, he is not. That would be Paul contradicting himself almost everywhere else he writes in Scripture. And so let me put it this way, because I think it'll help us with a little bit of clarity. God has made peace with us, not through our earning, not through our works, but through Christ. His sacrifice, his death on the cross, through his blood, peace has been made. Now, you don't have to accept that peace if you don't want to. God is not going to drag us kicking and screaming into peace. That doesn't make sense. But what we need to know is Jesus willingly gave his life to make peace with you and me. And all we have to do is believe in him and accept that free gift. And so now we're going to conclude with one final point, okay? And that is that we see Jesus in the new creation, Starting in verse 21 through 23, it says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That the greatest of all would give himself for the worst. Right? Friends, all of us, as it says in verse 21, were hostile in mind. We were doing evil deeds. We were all separated from God because of our sin. Right? None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. And so what Jesus does is he says, hey, that consequence, that penalty, Andre, that you deserve for all the evil deeds that you have done, right? for all of your sin, I, Jesus, will pay the penalty for you. Because I love you, And so the justice will be satisfied because a good God does not turn a blind eye to evil and wrong and sin. And so he deals with it, but he takes the penalty that we deserve upon himself, right? And he's killed. He's mocked and beaten and tortured and publicly executed in his actual physical body, Right, Like feeling all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the emotion. God experiences death so that he can present us holy and blameless and above reproach. Which is just incredible that that's the kind of God we have. A loving, kind, just, gracious, selfless Jesus who reconciles all things to himself. And so maybe you're in here and you've heard that thousand times. And I think we all need to be reminded, right, that you have, if you are in Christ, you have already been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can add to that, right? 
It's not by your works. It's not by your earning. You can't add more to it. If you are in Christ, you have already been presented to God by Jesus Christ as holy and blameless and above reproach. You are a new creation, right? Because of him, there is new creation in us, holy, blameless, and above reproach. And so maybe you're in here today and you're listening online and you've, you've never heard that before, right? That there's this God of the universe who came to earth, lives a perfect life, and then chooses to take your consequence, that he freely gives his life to have a relationship with you. <laughs> if you're hearing that for the first time today, I think that's for a reason. And so I invite you, if you have questions about that, if you want to know about that, that's the gospel. That's the good news. We're going to have a team of us standing up front, and I will be down here, and we'd love to engage with you about it. We'd love to talk to you more about that. And so City Bridge, we've spent today looking at Jesus Christ. And we have seen him and we've seen Christ in creation, right? That he's the firstborn, he's the image of the invisible God. It's all by him, through him, for him. And we see Jesus over the universe and over the church. He's before all things. He holds all things together. He's our head, he's our leader, intimately connected with us. We see Jesus in the new creation, that he defeated sin and death and the grave. And through him, we see new creation in us. And so City Bridge, here is my charge for us today before we leave and even as we leave is, is we have a clearer view of who Jesus is. Don't look away. Don't just go back to life unchanged after looking at the glory and the supremacy and the magnificence of Jesus. Right? Don't take your eyes off him. Because the reality is this isn't just a one-time fix. Every single day since seventh grade, I wake up in the morning and I have to put on my contacts or wear my glasses or I cannot see clearly. And so for us, every single day we wake up in the morning and we look to Jesus Christ or we see nothing clearly. It's all about Jesus. And there is nothing more important. There is nothing that comes above, takes precedence than seeing and worshiping the glory and the magnificence, the supremacy and the all-sufficiency of Christ. City Bridge, if we see Jesus clearly, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, we will never be the same. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.